and welcome to the Feedback Force podcast, the game design analysis podcast of the End Defender community. Uh, it's been a while, but we are back, and I'm Kelso. And I'm Kyla. And I'm Carl. And, uh, yeah, it's autumn now. How are y'all feeling? Cold. Yeah, we, uh, are you happy for daylight saving time, um, to be... Back I'm, in normal times, or not? I'm Are you not? It, I'm happy for it to be fucking abolished next year. Um. Well, it's, yeah. They they say just, that they're gonna abolish it. Like four thirty. I know, but I'm see. I'm oh, we are a house divided here because I'm one of the people who's like, no standard time all year. Um. I think they're doing daylight time all year. Is the what they decided? Yeah, I don't want that. That's the opposite of what I want. I want standard time all year. Uh, anyway. I just, I just, I hate waking up, like, in the dark, but I also hate, like, uh, you know, being like, oh, okay, I'm done with work. Oh, it's already nighttime. Like, I hate that feeling also. So that's really no winning. It's just, I shouldn't live as far north as I do, really, is what it comes down to. Yeah, that's a big mean. part of it. I have both. Yay. It's yeah. dark when I wake up and dark when I go home. You're probably further north than either of us, I assume. Yeah, probably. Yeah, the sun is definitely mostly down by the time I leave work, but it's still... I don't know, the sun is like up a little bit by the time I wake up, so I get a little bit of that. Um, but, you know, who knows. Um... I mean, they tried to they tried to switch to day uh, to daylight saving time permanently. I think in the seventies, and it didn't stick. I don't know. We just need to pick one and like stay with it. I'm fucking sick of switching back and forth. Yeah. Um, just pick one and then switch between them every year. <laughs> That's. I mean, that would even be better than than doing it twice a year. But um, yeah, who knows. Anyway, uh, yeah, you are you are norther than us. I well, maybe not by a ton. Actually, I'm trying. Probably to... not norther than you by a ton. Yeah, I think but you I'm, might be. I'm like almost in the south. I'm like right on the border of the south. It depends so. where in Sweden you are, because like the Seattle is about uh latitudinally the same as the southern part of Sweden. So, yeah, I'm quite southern, but not like the very furthest. So we might actually be about the same. Um, we won't make you dox yourself by saying exactly yeah. where in Sweden you are. <laughs> so it's fine. You would not be able to recognize it. That's probably true. That's fair. Yeah. Uh so um. But things. It's been a long time, so stuff has happened. It's been spooky season. Between mm-hmm. now and last time, uh, I carved a little Pumpkaboo, the Pokemon, into my, oh, into my pumpkin this year. Um, and it, it turned out very cute, although I thought, of course, immediately afterwards, I thought of like, oh, I should have done it this way. Instead, it would have been much better. But it was, it was still fine. Um, and as usual, we had a jack-o'-lantern carving party, so I got the pumpkin seeds from everybody, and now I have like a giant container with a ton of roasted pumpkin seeds oh, that are good. like salty and delicious. 
that's good. Yeah, that's a good that's a good way to do it. Yeah, we um I got a bunch of candy because I don't we're kind of like suburban out here. And this would be our my first time like since, you know, being a kid that I have not lived in an apartment for trick or treating, so I got all this candy and I think we had like six trick or treaters. So we've just been eating Halloween candy for the last like 2 weeks. Um almost That's gone more than we got we had zero so <laughs> but we fair, did yeah. we got we got some candy but we didn't get a ton the trick for halloween really is to get candy that you like so that when you're eating the leftover candy you're at least happy about it yeah that's what i did yeah definitely um yeah none of those smarties or whatever the hell weak ass candy smarty lovers be gone um still have warheads I should like. I think they war, do. Yeah. If warheads are still a thing, I should get that for Halloween's for some year. Just a few of them, because uh, warheads do, are great. I I used to really love warheads as a kid, and I like the like un uncontrollably sour <laughs> experience. I so. feel like I remember a, a time when Carl had a bunch of extremely sour candies and destroyed his mouth with them, like relatively yeah. recently. Yeah, I vaguely remember. That. <laughs> True. My poor pun. <laughs> I had forgotten about that. Uh, I didn't know you could shed skin on your tongue. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's I, that's rough. I have to ration myself with the pumpkin seeds because I I cooked them with um, yeast and soy sauce and paprika. Um, so they're a little bit si uh, spicy, but they're very salty. And if I have too many then, like, the tip of my tongue starts to, like, kind of get numb and tingly from the too much salt. And I'm like, all right, I need to stop. I know, everybody's got their, like, their weakness mouth destroyer foods. I remember once I ate so much pineapple in a single sitting that it started to digest me back. So, like, my tongue really hurt. It was a, yeah, it was I a mean, time. Pineapple is what you use to, like, meat tenderize if you're doing yeah. it chemically, right? So Yeah, it's one of the things, yeah. Um, yeah, I forget what the, the enzyme is called that's just straight up dissolves proteins, um, including yep. you, including me. So yep. <laughs> there you go. Yep. We had some we had some birthdays. Kelso, you had, had some I birthdays. think the first, first birthday. Yeah, my birthday was at the end of October. So here's the story about my birthday cake. Um, I was like thinking about ordering one of the um <clears throat> excuse me one of the cakes from the milk bar bakery because they'll just ship them um and then my sister rolls up and is like oh i took a class from that bakery i know how to make that cake i'll just make you one my sister by the way is in colorado i am in virginia um and it just so happened that my parents were coming from colorado to visit for my birthday so my sister baked this cake and then my mom <laughs> Brought it in her carry-on on the flight from Colorado. It's the most effort I think anyone has ever gone through to bring me a birthday cake on the airplane. My mom, like, got pulled out of the line in security, had her bag searched, and she was like, no, 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 it's just a birthday cake. And the TSA people were like, okay, well, whatever. Um, but yeah, it was a really good cake. It was a very good cake. Well, so. as, as long as it was good, it would be a shame to go through that much effort for a what ended up being a bad cake. I'm yeah. glad it didn't suffer too bad in transit, it sounds like. Yeah, it was, uh, yeah, my mom put it into, like, a big Tupperware. And it was, like, 
partially frozen at, at the point when she got it. So, yeah. I'm not even really a cake person, but uh, would, probably the best not, cake I've ever I had. Would, like, not have trusted that scenario. Like, if you were, if you had told me, like, the plan is to do this, I would have said, like, that cake is not going to survive the, the trip to you. Yeah. Well, part part of the reason why it holds up is because, like, so it's a three layer cake. So you put it in a ring mold, and then you wrap it in acetate, like plastic, so that it, so you can stack the rings, like the the three. Yeah levels higher and then you just leave the acetate on there so it's like kind of rough which helps okay. um, and it was like rubber banded and parchment papered and and everything so it was it was actually a pretty secure little package and then it was inside of a so yeah it uh it worked out and now i gotta figure out how to make that cake it's a pretty <laughs> it's a pretty that. involved recipe yeah. yeah um so but that's fine. That's uh, I don't need I don't need cake for a while now. So I should I should get myself a cake. I did not have cake. I had a birthday yesterday, um, and I was thinking of like uh, going to Safeway and getting one of those little like you know grocery store bakery cakes. Mm -hmm. um, but then I didn't. I did end up going to a friend's house and she made us uh, gluten free brownies. So I had nice. some desserty type thing, but. Mostly, we went to uh, brunch at a cafe that was near us uh, as our as kind of like my birthday thing, and oh man, I it took me like all day to digest <laughs> the rest of that meal. It was so good. I had a like a vegetarian eggs Benedict kind of thing, and then they have this thing called Sidewinder fries, which are these big like spiral steak fries that are like battered and spiced on the outside, and they're so good. <laughs> Sounds amazing. I gotta look up these Sidewinder fries. Oh, ooh, those look good. Those look like the the best ratio of like crunchy and fluffy. I'm into that. Yeah, I'm it's into that. Uh, it was very good. Man, yeah, brunch food sounds good. Just in general, but also right now, but also <laughs> all the time. Yeah. You never underestimate a good brunch. Brunch is 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 a good meal to have. Yeah, um, it is. I, and this is like the first place that we found around here that like is a dedicated brunch place and has really good brunch food. Um, so it you know it's been a while because the last time I had a dedicated brunch place was in L.A. So, yeah, it's very popular though. You pretty much have to put in a reservation, otherwise the wait is like forty five minutes. So yeah, that that sounds about right. We have um, yeah. a couple places that are like they're like breakfast, lunch, brunch, um, but they are um, yeah. If you if you try to show up, and I don't think I don't think either of them take reservations. I tried to show. Yeah, wait, it's gonna be about an hour twenty. I said no, thank you. Yeah, and I went to another good restaurant that was like in the same, you know, area. So that was fine. That's the problem with places that are good, is people discover they are good, and then everyone goes there, and then you can't go there as easily. Just stay but away from my brunch. More power to them. I mean, you know, it hope, I hope it means that they continue to have good quality stuff. Yeah, and I mean, you know, local non-chain restaurants, it's always hit or miss as to whether or not they're going to succeed, regardless of how good the food is, so... Yeah, I'm glad they're doing well. 
Yeah, I think this is like a one of a set of like local cafes where they opened one in like a lot of the different local areas. Um, gotcha. But they're still all, you know, like a locally owned uh, group of, of stores. So it's it's hard to be sure because they're like it's just called the it's the one in Woodenville is just called the Woodenville Cafe. Um, so I think the like the other ones are, you know, like the Kirkland Cafe and the Bothell Cafe or, you know, whatever, like other towns they're named after. Yeah. Um, so. Anyway. Uh, should we just talk about the game? Do we have other stuff? I mean, there's, oh, no, I do have one other thing I want to talk about. Yeah. And that was Spooky spooky Times uh, season. I was playing House Flipper a little more, and they had a spooky update, and they introduced a haunted apartment, and I scared the hell out of myself. That's the, um, it's the apartment from Silent Hill 4, I Is believe. It? Yeah. With the, like, chains on the doors? Yes, that sounds right. I think so. I saw it briefly and was like, that's the Silent Hill 4 one. Thing. Okay. It it was very scary. God, I am such a wimp when it comes to even vaguely scary things. Like, to be fair, they they really didn't do that much. It was just like some, you know, some screen filters and some odd sound effects and some flickering lights, really. Um, the scariest thing that happened was, uh, like, I went uh, in to check out the bedroom, and you hear the sound of, like, footsteps and you turn around and there's a there's a trail of footprints leading to the room that you're in and a pair of empty shoes on the ground like right at the doorway oh nice and i haven't i haven't that, actually played silent hill 4 but i wonder if they just lifted scares directly from the game because i know that's one of the like mechanics in silent hill 4 is it's like i think it's called hauntings and as you progress through the game, like, outside of the apartment, because you're trapped in the apartment, but as you progress through the game outside of the apartment, like, more and more spooky shit happens in there, which is, like, you know, the idea of kind of, here's your safe room, but oh no, it's actually not safe. That sort yeah. of thing. Yeah, uh, I could see that. And the yeah. other the other thing was, uh, as I was cleaning out the, uh, like, kitchen area, there's a little kitchenette in it. Um... One of the cabinets is just full of, like, 30 jars of sugar, which is, like, slightly distressing, but also kind of funny, and really made me think, like, okay, these people, like, the people who made this game went through their set of assets and said to themselves, what is the scariest asset to have 30 of in one spot in this game? Yeah, sugar. Sugar, clearly. It really gives that really gives you uh, like a a strong serial killer vibe. It's uh, I mean, it was a good choice. I don't uh, I you know, I think they're right. Of all the assets in the game, the one that would be scariest to have a ton of is sugar containers. So good on them. Yeah, it's like, what's scarier? A whole bunch of sugar or, like, 30 gun? No, 30 gun is too easy. Yeah. I, I appreciate that, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, 30, 30 gun is like, oh, you know, this is a, a gun nut. It's, you know, it's dangerous or whatever. 30 sugar is like, but why? But who? <laughs> <laughs> yes. maybe, maybe they use a lot of sugar. Yeah. 
Like, this is someone who, like, lures kids into vans with candy, clearly. With homemade candy. Yeah. <laughs> with, uh, with sugar? I mean, like, candy? Lots of, lots of shoes would also be scary to have in a house, I think. Yeah. Or, like, but People teeth. do have that. Yeah, but teeth is not an asset in the in the game. I guess that's true, yeah. I guess if we're talking specifically assets game. Um, what else do they have in the game? <clears throat> I mean, if you had a large enough space, if you had just, like, a bunch of chairs, maybe, in, like, a weird configuration, you could do something with that. Uh, but, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Um, yeah, so just, <laughs> you know, good good job, makers of House Flipper. You got me. I was spooked. <laughs> Nice. Yeah, their their like seasonal maps are always pretty fun. So yeah. Excuse me. Um yeah. I'm also uh super, super excited about the new Pokemon game coming up in like a week. Let's Oh, a is week. it that no, is it that soon? Damn. Yeah, that's I'm just haven't... not gonna comment on it. Alright. I still haven't finished Arceus, which I need to. I enjoyed quite a bit of it, but then I, I just kind of fell off. I think yeah. I think I stopped playing Arceus when Kirby came out, yeah, and fair. then I didn't finish Kirby either. What a problem! <laughs> what a problem I have. Um, yeah. Well, but... I am. You know, it's a new Pokemon game, and so I I have to play it. Um, I saw I... that there is a little um ghost dog graveyard dog. Yep, graveyard. Very cute. Yeah. Um. And yeah, he's very cute. He is. I if he evolves into a dual type, I might consider him. Um, but I am. I'm very typing oriented in my Pokemon teams, so I pretty much Damn. only use dual types. And they still haven't announced the freaking uh, final evolutions for the starters. Oh so yeah. So I don't. I don't know if any of the starters evolve into dual types. Uh, I hate it. I hate it when they're not dual types. I me too. <laughs> me too. Ugh, such a pain. Because then I just, like, I don't end up using my starter, and that's always very sad. Yeah. It's, yeah, you gotta, I don't know. I always feel bad about abandoning my starters, but. Yeah. What are you gonna do? Gotta get that optimal type spread. I didn't, I didn't feel super bad about abandoning Inteleon. I didn't really like any of the, the final forms of the Gen 8 starters very much, so. I'm like. I guess, I guess I haven't played a mainline Pokemon game since, um. Sun and Moon, so it's been a it's been a minute for me. Yeah, well, I, I skipped Sword and, and Shield too. Sun and Moon, I had freaking uh the Ghost Owl, and he's fantastic, Decidueye. Yeah, that's true. That was um the first the first game in a long time that I didn't pick the fire starter because uh who cares? It's it's just another fucking muscle muscle fire man. Ugh. Um, yeah. Who picks fire starter? I have historically. I I actually it turns out have like not that much consistency. I I I used to say like oh yeah I usually pick the grass starters but occasionally pick the fire. But looking back on it, I'm I'm really not that consistent. And I did the water starter next generation or last generation. So okay, looking back, the fire starters are pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. I changed my mind. I think I I think I started out with the fire. Like with fire being my go-to all the way back in 
red blue because Charmander is the worst, the hardest, worst one to pick at the very beginning. And I said, I'm going to do that because it's going to be hard. And I did. And I don't know, I guess, I guess I like, um, I, I beat myself into thinking that that was a good idea for the rest of Um, yeah. Yeah. I did. Let's see. Did I do, did I do Chikorita? I don't think I did Chikorita. I think I did Cyndaquil. I think I did Bulbasaur, Cyndaquil, Torchic, Turtwig. Probably Snivy, and then Fennekin, and then uh, Rowlet, and then Sobble. So Sobble was actually my first water starter. Um, gotcha. I, but I've been pretty inconsistent back and forth between the grass and the fire, other than that. And I'm definitely not picking the water starter for this one, because it actually looks real dumb. But... I mean, maybe it'll evolve into something really cool, but I kind of. Uh, what I'm you leaning... mean it looks dumb? It's a, mm. it's a, it's a duck with a beret. Like, I mean, my other option is a little round lizard man or like super cute grass cat with the good name. Uh, so you know, I'm not picking the duck. <laughs> Besides, if it if it evolves into a dual type, it's probably going to be water flying, and there are like so many water flying things. There don't need to be more. Yeah, it's it's like how there don't need to be any more firefighters. Yeah. Although I'm looking back at all the starter types, and uh, I think Fennekin definitely was the best. Fire Psychic is a good, a good combo. I don't know, like <laughs> as far as firefighting, like Blaziken is. Blaziken's so good, though. Yeah, Blaziken is really good, but then there's also... Well, yeah. Let's see. So yeah, there's Blaziken, and then Infernape, and then um, Embor, all firefighters Yeah, wasn't, uh, uh... For, for three generations. Yeah, wasn't and then the... Fennekin was next. Yeah, wasn't um, in Incineroar Fire Dark type, though? Yeah. I was yeah. thinking he was firefighter, but still, in terms of just design, boring. Tried to look up water flying type Pokemon, and I looked up w just water flying, and I got some kind of like water based uh, hoverboard thing, which is cool. Yeah, not uh... <laughs> not a Pokemon. Okay, <laughs> Google, your short answers are like pretty hit or miss here. I'm pretty sure like Cloister is not a water flying type. Um, I think in Pokemon Snap, Cloister like levitates out of the water, if I remember correctly. In the in OG Pokemon Snap, maybe that's what they're thinking about. Um, yeah, let's see. Water flying types. There's Ducklet slash Swana, Mantike slash Mantine. There's Gyarados. There's the Pelipper line. Yeah, like there's there's a lot of water flyings. I, we, there's, I, is Cramorant water flying or is Cramorant just water type? Oh god, I don't know. Uh, Cramorant is also water flying. Yeah, there's, there's just too many. Um, too many of them. Cramorant is the funniest one conceptually, even though I would never use it. Um, 
Oh, you you haven't played recently, so you probably haven't met Cramorant, have you? No, I think I know. Well, I would recognize it if I saw it. <laughs> yeah, he's like a real derpy-looking, like, oh, yeah, diving bird. This one. And his whole deal is that uh, he learns um, the move Dive. And his special ability, when he goes down with uh, Dive, he comes back up with a fish in his mouth, and he will throw it at you. <laughs> Oh, uh, no. For extra damage. And there's a small chance uh, when he dives down um, that instead of coming up with a fish, he comes back up with a Pikachu in his beak. Yeah, I and see then, that. And then that can that can paralyze you if he throws it at you. Yep, I'm looking at the gorging form. Gulping yep. form is the fish, and gorging form is the Pikachu. I don't <laughs> like, I don't like the implications of this. I don't like the implications of... <laughs> You guys, not a fan of the Vorbird. Yeah, I mean, he does not actually swallow the critter. He just, like, spits it at you. <laughs> it's, pre it's pretty funny when he spits a Pikachu at you in-game. Like, I, I found it really amusing when it happened to me. I'm like, what the fuck? That's fair. Anyway. This has been the Pokemon Hour. I'm just very Once again. excited about the new game, it's all. Uh, anyway, uh, but let's not, let, instead of talking about games that aren't out yet, uh, let's talk about a game that is. The game we played this week, Grounded. Grounded. Grounded by uh, developer Obsidian Entertainment, uh, published by Xbox Game Studios relatively like recent release in terms of the full release um they only yeah. released like september this year uh still kind of buggy uh no mm -hmm. pun intended um also there were... not a that pokemon has game to be, have been yeah. intended also it's not a pokemon game but you can tame the wildlife i never figured out how to do that <laughs> i didn't either um, but I did see that you can do it. Yeah, it is a thing that is possible to do. I think you um, just have to feed them. Like, you have to find the food they like and feed it to them. But I, who, who cares? Yeah, and they have, like, little little armors and, like, dog houses and stuff you can make for them. Oh. Um, but, yeah, it's, uh, I think in the time that we spent playing this, they released five patches. <laughs> something like that. Oh. Uh. The one between four and five was particularly egregious because their patch number four um, introduced a glitch that uh, was a performance issue that was so bad that we couldn't play the game without it crashing. Um, and so we had to wait for patch five in order to continue. Um, the problem being, and maybe it, it's actually possible that it wasn't introduced in patch four. It's just that like nobody noticed it for the first few weeks because the the problem was that over time uh the ants are too industrious um there's a spot where <clears throat> ants uh are gathering little bits of food and if they and it this particular pile happens to be um in like a puddle of water and so they will gather bits of food they're basically infinite and once you have like several hundred or like a thousand pieces of food there, the physics of trying to calculate those things with the water, like each individually just slows down the processing so much that you just can't play the game. Yeah, that's rough. 
Um, so, you know, bug report, ants too industrious, please nerf. Uh, but they did fix it, uh, and then we were able to play again, and it was fine. Um, but yeah, so, Grounded, it's uh, Subnautica meets Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Um, it is a crafting survival game that is, like, heavily narrative-based and set in a um, crafted rather than procedurally generated world. Um, but instead of being underwater with big monsters, uh, you are teens who are shrunk tiny in out in a yard with big spiders. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, there sure is big spiders. There sure is big spiders. I was a little disappointed in just how many big spiders there are, because... Um, yeah, it stops being, like, exciting after a while, huh? Yeah, it really does. Um, especially because I remember, like, there was a specific update that were, oh, we're spiders in the And that led me to believe spiders are going to be... I mean, you know, you still don't want to run into one. Um, but they are just kind of all over the place. Yeah, and it's certain areas more than others. But, yeah, spiders are, like, the central gatekeepers of a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think because, uh, I'm the only one in the group who has finished it, I'm gonna not try and not spoil the story in case people want to actually, like, play through it. So there's gonna be, like, general game spoilers and probably will spoil a lot of the, like, early game story stuff. Um, but, yeah, I'm gonna try and make it as, as spoiler-free for the ending as possible. I will say there is a good ending and a bad ending. Um, and the, you get the good ending if you, there's a, like, secret boss that you have to find and defeat to get the good ending. Oh, that's kind of annoying. <laughs> it's is, not how secret. Long. How secret is the secret it, boss? It's not that secret. <laughs> okay, that's fine then. Um, like, it's, it's pretty easy to, like, run into it early and be like, it's, that's weird that I can't get into here. And then as long as you remember it's there and, like, come back to it, uh, you're good. Do they like signpost it pretty well? I don't know. I I I feel like I was running into Oh, I just have to do this, but then you get to the right like you've done the right things, you've gotten to the right place, but oh, I'm missing like a key item. Like that doesn't feel like it's super well telegraphed. Um especially when your base is far away, which got kind of frustrating. Um is it you can make multiple bases, and that was one of the big things we did, was we set up, like, little outpost bases in various places, and that was, like, convenient, because we always had a, a place to go back to that was nearby. I guess, but I spent so much time building my, like, central base that I didn't want to do it again. Better. And also, all my stuff's there! Yeah. Um, yeah. And I get that. I get that in a lot of these games. You're kind of meant to build several small bases, but I never do, and I always end up getting annoyed. But I don't want to. I don't want to build again. So yeah, there you go. I had to. That's. I did it sort of the same way I did in Subnautica, which is like I had one big major base that was like home base, and then I had a a handful of smaller outpost bases that had like the essentials of what I needed if I needed to, like a stopover point, um, and that I could at least assume were relatively safe. Yeah, that's fair. Um, yeah, so I always they... find those types of bases tend to be like more work than the payoff. 
and then I regret not making them anyway. Yeah, that's that's how I feel about them too. That's fair. I think I, part of it might just be that I really like building. Like, that's the thing I enjoy most in these games, so having an excuse to build more is good for me. Yeah, the building part is fine. It's just the gathering up all the materials you need. That's yeah. kind of can be can be a slog. Um, not you know not that you can't find most materials kind of map, um, but there's always like one really good spot. Like you know you go yeah. to the oak tree for all of the sap you'll ever need, or all yep. of the acorn parts that you'll ever need. And then, yeah, the oak tree is the the acorns are interesting because they're like one of the few resources that's only available in the one spot. Yeah, which is the oak tree. There's a handful um, of resources like that, but you can still find acorns a bit further away. And you, I never saw acorns anywhere other than more or less like right around the oak tree. I saw acorns like on the ground. I think. I guess I never paid that much attention because I knew that if I needed acorns, um, I could see maybe maybe I was just more close to the oak tree than I thought. I could be. It's difficult. It's it's always hard to know. Um. Yeah. Yeah, so you start the game as, uh, you know, one of four teens uh, in a little in a little briefcase with a teen-shaped hole. Um, and your, you know, your goal is to, to figure out why the heck you're tiny, because uh, you don't remember, and to try and get no, no longer tiny. And your first major goal is, there's, there's a little bit of, like, preliminary stuff where you find a, like, piece of machine and you try and turn it on and it like creates an explosion and so the first major thing you have to do is get to the oak tree and when you get to the oak tree you meet Burgle who is kind of like your main NPC for most of the game he gives you like little quests and he sort of tells you where your main objectives are and stuff and there are a series of uh, defunct labs throughout the map that you have to find and investigate and get uh, special chips that have uh, information for Burgle that you bring back to him and that advances the story. And you also find in each place, you know, little, uh, as, as you do in games like this, little audio recordings and, and writings about what went down and why and uh, the, the narrative sort of unravels gradually using that. And I actually enjoyed the narrative quite a bit. Um, it's nothing, like, earth-shattering or anything. It's pretty straightforward. But in the same way that, like, the Subnautica one was pretty straightforward, and that's all it needs to be in order to, like, motivate the exploration. Yeah, that's, it really, you know, it, it serves its purpose. And it's, I don't know, it's fun. I, I, I like kind of goofy mad science shit like this. Yeah. Um, and it does help that Honey, I Shrunk the Kids was one of my favorites when I was a child. Um, so there's that. Yep. So big nostalgia bomb. But yeah, I I like when <laughs> I like when the uh, the sort of narrative over. Oh no! What have we done? Um, yeah. Yeah, it's fun. It's uh, it's goofy and like it it doesn't take itself super seriously. Like it's it's clearly a little bit tongue in cheek. Um, so and. All of the uh, individual kids have, like, their own little personalities, and they have dialogue quips that they say as you're going through. And if you have multiple players, they have some dialogue quips that have, like, back and forths between 
uh, two of the characters. So I'm I'm really curious to play it at some point with four players and see if like are there some quips that involve like all four characters. Um, I think some of them get a little bit you know tiring after a while after you've played it for thirty hours or whatever. Yeah, but... I I I picked the nerd kid. I don't um Pete. Uh, Pete, yeah. Um, and I don't know how many times I heard him say aphids, nature's lollipops, which is a disgusting thing to say. <laughs> yeah. Um, but there you go. Yeah, there's a there's a really uh, complicated thing he says about mites, uh, where if you have Willow yeah. in the game, he says something about like, you know, as they always say, mites, they're, you know, like, I forget what it is. It's so complicated. Yeah, I, I know exactly which one you're talking about. Yeah, and Willow says, um... I'm pretty sure no one has ever said that. <laughs> is Willow the sports girl? No, Willow is the like goth girl. Gotcha. Uh, she's not. I, she's not goth. I guess she's like very lightly like punk, but that's fair. Um, Countercultural. She like she has a thing, a line about like. Um, I think Pete says something about like, you know, I really want to keep an aphid as a pet, and Willow says like, I'd much rather have a spider. You know, once we're normal size. <laughs> um, so, you know, she's the type of girl who wants a pet spider. So. <laughs> yeah. Um, I picked Willow. Mainly because yeah. she had the least annoying voice. <laughs> That's fair. Um, that was the I... first thing I checked. Which voice am I going to have to listen to? Are reasonable are reasonable because there's like they, it's not like they have different stats or anything pretty much like which voice do you have to listen to is the main reason to pick one over another um there's also hoops who's like the sports girl and max who we never played max i don't know what his deal is supposed to be yeah i don't i don't know what his deal is either i went straight for the nerd kid i was like yeah this is this is what this is how this is gonna be yeah, he likes to make like Dungeons and Dragons references and stuff. And yep, um, yeah, he's you know he's he's the one who has all of the like fun facts about things. Although, as Willow points out, a lot of times his facts are just incorrect. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, like there's one about wolf spiders where he goes on a thing as like you know part part wolf part spider all something he he goes on a little rant and she's like okay none of that was true except for it being a spider yeah i do remember that that bit of dialogue so i'm i'm curious like how many different cuz it sounds like they have like baselines of dialogue and then sometimes other characters are recorded to have responses to their standard baselines of dialogue so i'm i'm curious like playing with different characters what what different responses you'd hear and what uh different different lines there'd be and if there's more like longer conversations if you have three or four characters but yeah i played this mostly with huck um and also like the how long to beat said like um like 51 hours for like you know main story plus extra or something like that Bullshit. Yeah. Like, we played 60 hours, and we were, like, A, that was not including uh, the, the times 
when I wasn't playing and Huck locked on, logged on on his own just to do resource collection. Um, and it doesn't account for the fact that also we were horribly cheating and just had all damage turned off, so we were able to, like, pretty much gun for the main story without any obstacles. Yep. So, I, yeah. Like, I think a more reasonable estimate is probably closer to, like, 80 to 100 hours. Which, yeah, I did I... not realize this game was going to be so long. I apologize. No, oh, you know, whatever. It was fun still. Um, I, I did give it, like, a, the old call, you know, unmodified difficulty. And I pretty, pretty quickly after maybe, like, an hour was like, okay, this and I went through and I like tweaked my settings. I kept on play damage because I still wanted like fall damage. I still wanted like, but I turned off the setting where the bugs are hostile, and I mm. wish there was a better middle ground because if you turn right. off bug hostility, they like they don't fight back if you attack. I wish there was, you know, an option for they won't immediately attack you first, but if you attack them, they will try to defend themselves. Oh, yeah, um, all, bugs, all bugs neutral, basically. Yeah, um, which is what I was hoping for, and it ended up just being like, you can walk up to a bug and just whack it, and it will ignore Yeah, um, yeah, that's a little... We, we kept on bug hostility and turned off damage. The problem is that, like, bug, bug hostility off also makes it much harder to gather resources, because bugs don't stop and fight you. They keep moving on their merry way. So you have to chase them down in order to get their materials. That's true. Although, I don't know, I found that they stopped enough, just kind of in their regular paths, that that wasn't too much of an issue. Except for gnats. Gnats were a pain in the ass to just yeah. get them gnats, out of the air. Gnats are always a pain in the ass, regardless. Mm -hmm. gnats, are, gnats, I don't think, can actually hurt you. Uh, or if they can, they can only, like, nudge you slightly. Um, but they, uh, they're, like, very small and, like, very erratic. So you pretty much have to have, like, a bow and arrow in order to be able to hit them. Yeah, but you need nat fuzz to craft a bow. It's yeah. The, it's the, it's the catch-22. There, there are hot, um, like, in the haze zone. Mm -hmm. I think they're hostile, at least. Um, but yeah. Other than that. Oh, the no, the gnats. The gnats in the infection, the, like, in, infected gnats are literally the worst um, because they have the power to disarm you. They have the, if they run into you, they cause you to drop whatever you're holding. Oh, that sucks. Um, and, yeah, so even, even with damage off, infected gnats are still a problem. I basically, any time I saw I was going through an infected area... I just put away whatever I was holding, so I wasn't holding anything because I was so afraid of like dropping my really upgraded spear that I had. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, maybe maybe no damage hostile bugs would have been a better route than because I like I said I still wanted to keep like environment damage thing on, but yeah. So yeah. turning on no damage uh, turns off all damage you take from enemies. It turns off all fall damage. It turns off. Um, environmental damage from things like poison or heat uh, or drowning. <laughs> um, so it, it basically, it takes away all of the environmental challenges. But, you know, like, I don't mind. I don't mind not having an air meter while I'm swimming. Like, 
the the game is very hard is the thing yeah that well and that's why i was trying to get into the pond lab right before and yeah the the only real obstacle is just you have to it's all the i mean you know where it is it's all the way down at the bottom so if you're doing that with damage you have there's like two sets of um, like air meter increasing headgear so you have to craft one and then you dive down and like gather a bunch of crap and then you have to go back and create craft another one even further run. extended yeah it's yeah. it's an annoying sort of gating um but what are you gonna do you need yeah. that in this kind of game so yeah and that's what i thought about this game in general that it felt pretty grindy there was a lot of like resource gathering and maybe i'm just like entering the game with the mindset of it being like kind of like subnautica but, like, it felt more like, well, now I have to make trips back and forth to gather a bunch of shit. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, and I don't know if that's, like, intended to kind of increase the playtime or, um, you know, if that was just, like, how they felt that their balance worked out. Because I think, so here's what I think, uh, the, the, the conclusion that Huck and I both came to up you know, upon having finished it, is I think that it is uh, intent. It is tailored for four players. Um, yeah, I think it is intended to be uh, played with the full four players because you can you can do more efficient resource gathering with four players, right? Because like each player can go focus on a different type of resource. Um, the combat I think would be much easier with four players because. Uh, the enemies can only focus on one attacking one person at a time. So you could do like, you know, aggro uh, trading where like whoever's currently being aggroed blocks and everyone else attacks. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, there's there's just like a lot of things that felt like this would be easier if we had more people. There's a, a number of uh, defense based missions in the game where you have to defend a base against waves of oncoming critters. And, like, that would also have been much easier with more people because you could have, like, people defending different sides and, you know, going around with a repair tool while other people are attacking. And Oh, yeah, I, I, I activated one of the, like, mixer stations and just did not bother from that point on. Like, what does that yeah. even... Do you know what that gets you? It you... just gets you uh, extra science. Um, oh. Little, okay. little mixers give you 2,000 science and big mixers give you 4,000 science. I mean, that's um, a good amount of science, but, yeah... It's yeah. not super worth it yeah. if you're if you're just playing it on your own. Yeah, science is how you purchase some of the upgrade tiers in the game. Um, there are certain weapons and things that are locked, the recipes for which are locked behind uh, leveling up your science a certain amount. And there will be like little globs of what they call raw science, um, just like hidden throughout the map. And there's there is a surprising amount of like hidden secret stuff. Uh, much more than I was expecting. <laughs> um, so there's like, you know, there's the hidden, so there's hidden science that you can go and, and collect. Um, and that helps you level up. There are um, these t- teeth-shaped vitamins uh, called yeah. milk molars um, that you can collect. And there's two types of those. Um, there's regular milk molars and mega molars. Um, 
the regular milk molars, you can increase uh, stats on your character, like your health and stamina and stuff. The big milk molars um, are used, they apply to everyone on the server, uh, and they increase uh, stack size for um, different capacities. So, like, you can carry more food in one stack or carry more, you know, ammo in one stack and things like that. And there's a lot of them. <laughs> Um, there's also little hidden uh, scabbies, which are the like wristwatch tech thing that you use to. Um, that's you know, basically your your HUD interface. And the little the finding little scabbies gives you alternate color schemes that you can use for it. Either you can pick one for day and one for night. Okay, that's um, what um, it does. I yeah. found a bunch of those and just never never yeah, even same. looked at them. Yeah, they're color schemes, and there's like a little um, decal that appears in the background behind your character on the menu. So different schemes will have like little different decals in the background. So it's it's not a significant. Yeah, um, that's fair. It's just like a a little aesthetic skin for your HUD. Um. And yeah, and there's like little hidden, um like science labs uh, all over the place. They're less hidden, but um, there's, you know, how you get to, um, like, scan the new materials you have to find new recipes. Um, also, there's a there's an optional thing that you can find um, that, uh, one, like, a, a little hidden lab where if you find it and turn on a thing, then it activates so that all of those little labs become scanner devices where you can mm -hmm. use them to scan for resources uh, and see where they are on the map. And then that makes it easier to go harvest resources. Yeah, that was useful. Um, it's it's weird to me that they hide that thing because it, it's fairly easy to miss. Was uh, it hidden? I, I thought it was just in the hedge lab. Am I it, wrong? I don't remember it's, where it's it was. In the, it's in the hedge, but it's like in a part of the hedge like if you if you beeline straight for the hedge lab, you will go right past it. Um, and you kind of like we when the first time we went, we saw like, oh hey, I think there's like a door over in the hedge over there, but I don't want to risk falling <laughs> trying to get there, so maybe we'll come back to this. I must have just gotten lucky and stumbled across it um, on my way to the hedge lab. But yeah, I okay, so it it was where I was thinking it was, but yeah, yeah. I guess I guess now that you mentioned it, it is sort of. Away a, little a little bit off the beaten path, yeah. The opposite. I was stuck trying to find the way to the hedge lab, so I found everything before except, it. Except that. Yeah, fair. Um, so there's also hidden, um, like, a few, like, special... Um, like weapons and upgrade type things, uh, like special items. There's like a, uh, an Excalibur style style fire sword that you can uh, you can find, and you have to do like a little defense mission in order to <laughs> pull it out of the stone. Um, there's a like a, a gum gum based salt mace that you can find. Um, there's like a robot arm you can use to hit people with that's uh that's out there somewhere that's cool. um there's uh, uh how can i um forget why like how we ended up getting onto this track um but there is uh 
Oh, it was, yeah, that's right. So there's, there's a set of like treasure chests. There's like three treasure chests and you have to find the keys to them in order to uh, open them. And I think we found two keys on our own, but the third key, we like had the chest and we like couldn't for the life of us find this key. So we looked up where it was and it was the most convoluted, like uh, freaking, you know, jumping puzzle. Ugh. That you have to do to get to it, uh, which we ended up skipping, and we just built a spiral staircase all the way up to it. Yeah, that's fair. That's a good way to do it. Um, and uh, that one leads to a chest that has bomb arrows in it. Um, so you know, your ma your mileage may vary on whether you feel bomb arrows is worth the pain. Right. Yeah. But I think we also accidentally had structural integrity off, um, so we could build higher more easily than uh, than we were supposed to be. Um, but I I feel like I built some really good, um, like solid structurally sound things. I had a lot of like because there's um the the yard is divided into like several vertical layers. Um, because there's a sort of like retaining stone wall around the pond. Um, and there are natural ascents that you can find to get up there, but they're not, they, they're usually not convenient from wherever you happen to build your base. Um, so Huck and I ended up just building like large scaffolded staircases that uh, went up the various levels. And then we could zoom right along. Yeah, that's one thing that I kept saying I was going to do and kept getting sidetracked from was just going to build a bunch of stairs up to there, but then I never did that. Yep. Uh, Same. Yep. I was like, here I can build stuff. And then never did. Yeah. It's useful. Building is quite useful. And again, I, you know, I think I have the advantage because I really like building. Like, that's the pleasure I get out of these games. Um, so, I spent a lot of time uh, building elaborate uh, structures to make our lives slightly easier. Um, and a lot of them we were grateful for uh, in the as the time rolled on. There is a there is a big defense towards the end where we finally like caved and started making mushroom bricks and uh, I built like this really it ended up looking like a really elaborate like castle fort. And I'm like, this is probably overkill, but I'm really proud of it. And then it did not end up being overkill. It was very hard. Well, that's good. Yeah, I I made some mushroom bricks early on, kind of by mistake. I was like, oh, what happens if I put mushrooms into the grinder? At the very beginning, when I was reliable, and no, it did not. And I wasted a bunch of mushrooms and was mad at myself. Um, so there's that. But it's... The, it's, like, twice as strong as the next strongest material. Yeah, that's true. It's very good for, like, defensively building your base if you want to spend the time to, to make that much mushroom brick. Yeah, and I haven't gotten to a point where I need to have a super strong base yeah. yet. Um, so my mushroom bricks are just kind of sitting in a chest collecting dust. What are you going to do? Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, the nice thing is when you get to uh, the final defense, which I won't go into a, a bunch of detail about, um, they do they do 
put a bunch of materials nearby that makes it much easier to build. Um, so you don't have to like go scour the entire map to find mushrooms and then... Yeah, that's good. That's very good. Um, but yeah, so I mean, you know, the question I was going to start with or going to ask as a general uh, open-ended one was, is this game too hard? But it sounds like we're pretty much universally agreed that, yeah, with default settings, it's too hard. Especially, yeah, I mean, I think it's definitely, like you said, balanced for a full party. Um, and without a full party, it the those difficulty settings become pretty necessary. Um, yeah, I'm not so. sure it's, it's, like, too hard, but it's... Especially for me, I try to play it in a way I don't think is intended. Interesting. Just how so? Pretty much, yes. In all these games, I just pick, take a direction and then head straight as far as I can. Interesting. Just okay. looking at stuff I come across. But here, I just... You get slapped down pretty hard if you're yeah. not doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they have pretty strongly defined safe and unsafe zones. And that's what caused us to end up like turning on all the cheats in the first place is because we couldn't figure out from the starting area you know like how to get to any place where we wouldn't just immediately be killed yeah and we're like well clearly we can't go to the oak tree because like it's surrounded by orb weavers but the thing is you can if you're sneaky um we just like didn't realize that um and so, you know, after, like, the fourth time of, like, trying to go to a place and, like, dying and losing all our equipment and being like, uh, I don't want to do the run back to, like, only to find the spider, you know, pick up my equipment, find a spider and immediately die again. Um, we were like, ah, screw it. Um, also, like, the first thing we did um, was turn off PvP. Because it's ludicrous that in a game that's intended to be multiplayer like this, they that PvP is on by default, and that you can't you can't get achievements if you turn off PvP. Like, yeah, friendly... it's pretty it's pretty <laughs> ridiculous. That like there there is there's no reason for it to there's no reason for it to really be there. And trying to make your own like we're gonna do our own for death for. Yeah no fucking reason other than we can. Yeah, all like, that's friendly, something that should yeah. be yeah, that's something you should be able to toggle on and not off. Yeah, all friendly fire does is make it more inconvenient to fight as a group. That's like yeah. literally all it does. Yep. I could see that for sure. So like Ooh. I don't understand why that's in the that like that is the default setting. With that said, I do kind of would like to see like uh like a map with like four teams of four people playing. Yeah. That and sounds like fun. Match. Yeah, no, that would be like this would be a really uh, a really cool setting for that. But mm-hmm. with the game as it is designed, experience it doesn't make a lot. Yeah, yeah, maybe that was like uh, originally intended on the roadmap and was cut or something like that. Was having a a multiplayer mode like that or a yeah. multiplayer versus mode um but if you're if you're cutting that d- don't have friendly fire or maybe you know maybe like it 
it, it's to balance against four players so that it's not like super easy to beat all the fights when you have four players um, because you also have to be careful of not hitting each other, um, which is probably more likely. But like, it, the game is hard enough. You don't need that additional. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, like. Definitely. Um, so first, yeah. So first thing we turned off was friendly fire. Second thing we turned off was you lose items upon death. Um, because we were like, no, screw this. Like, I don't want to have to journey back every time to get my stuff. Like that, that feels like, uh, you know, uh, being like, you're already being punished for dying to the, the spider or whatever. Uh, like, I don't need to be more punished for it. Yeah. Um, and then we turned the difficulty down. Um, so we would, you know, try and take less damage because it was still too hard. And then we just turned damage off. We're like, screw it. We're like, no, we need to progress in this game in some fashion. And I think one of the patches that came out um, was something about um, like rebalancing some of the early game enemies and weapons. Um, so we are, you know, we we maybe had a harder time than than players who come in now would, but even so, like we were just calmly like sitting like right in the starting zone at night, like in our little camping area, and a giant wolf spider just walked up behind Huck and two shot him. Um, yeah, and it was terrifying. Oh yeah, that reminds me of one thing. Like, why can't you sleep at night if you already slept, like, yeah, within a, a certain whole, amount of time? There's a whole, like, tiredness mechanic where um, you have to, like, watch your, your timing so that you, you can't sleep within a certain frequency of having slept again. So you have to be, if you're trying to avoid the night, you got to be very careful about not sleeping until, like, the you know, it's late enough that sleeping will take you past the dawn points. So you don't wake up in the dark, and I don't know. Yeah. It could have been, yeah. you know, just, it would be nice to, like, just sort of set an alarm clock of, like, I would just like to wake up at, you know, 5.30 a.m., please, no matter when I'm going to sleep. Yeah, I agree. Um, sleep sleep management is always an annoying thing in games where you have to sleep also i feel like um and you don't have to sleep you can keep going at night but that's when the wolf spiders are out so yeah, that's when the wolf spiders are out and it does get to be a pain in the ass to like see things um mm -hmm. yeah it is very dark and uh most of the early game torches uh wear out pretty quick so yeah there is there is a late game torch you can get that uh is like has super super long duration and burns underwater um which is fantastic but it it takes a long time to get it that that makes sense yeah <laughs> I went uh, to the hedge lab in the middle of the night without a torch Oh no That yeah. was fun Yeah that's right I got I got stuck in the hedge um, after night fell, and I just, I just like sat and let time pass, 
um, mm-hmm. without sleeping because I didn't I didn't want to go back down and build um, you know a little shelter. So I just I just sat and and waited for the sun to come up. Yeah, oh. that's fair. Yeah, sometimes you gotta. Yeah, and the hedge is full of orb weavers, so like you don't want to go back down necessarily. Yeah. I can't. I also can't imagine doing the hedge ascent with freaking fall damage turned on. Like I had the dandelion tuft, so I could slow my falls as needed, but. Like, it's, the first-person platforming is already, like, not one of the strongest parts of this game. So, so I... Third-person. That's true. Yeah. We did mostly do third-person uh, eventually, but <clears throat> even Actually, the, the third-person, the 3D platforming generally is not the best. It's still not that good. Yeah, I think the hedge, I think the hedge was the reason that I figured out how to get into third-person. I was like, I just gotta, there's gotta be a way. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and it's uh it wouldn't be so bad if it was just like you know, you climb up and you're there, but it's like you climb up and then you have to climb all the way across the hedge without falling anywhere. And then even yeah. once you get to the lab, there are places where you can fall out of it and fall down. Yeah. At least once you get to the lab, it's pretty easy to get back up. Um but yeah, wow. it, yeah, yeah. Once it you once you've problem. been all once you've been all the way through the lab, you open uh, like a shortcut on the other side, which is true of most of the lab spaces. Like they take a while to get into, and then there's a shortcut you can open that makes it much easier to get into. Um, the pond lab has one of those too. So um, once you yeah. once you've gotten yeah. out, you'll be able to get into it much easier. Thank God. <laughs> But there's still a lot of, like, good important stuff hidden in the water under the pod la- pond lab that's worth trying to find, so... Yeah, no, I know. I know. I already found the chest. I had to find the key. And I've been I've been collecting koi scales. I feel like I really want a set of koi scale armor. Yeah. Yeah, we ended, up doing, the, the we ended up doing the pond armor last because we were really afraid of what was going to be in the water. But it turns out, actually, like, the water is uh, one of the safest places. Like, it's, you know, you have to worry about drowning, but other than drowning, there aren't a whole ton of threats that are, like, very difficult. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I started going for the hate. Like, I, I just completely said, I'm not doing the black until way later because that seems hard it seems like there's going to be a lot of bugs that i have to deal with so then i started doing the haze lab after i figured out how to craft the gas mask and that just became a pain in the ass i'm like okay fine i'll just i'll go to the pond whatever and that one actually i ended up making it into um i got to the haze lab but i could not figure out how to actually get into um, yeah, we did we did a haze and then black ant and then pond, um, and the I think the you know the the black ant one didn't um, like wasn't nearly as bad uh, as I was thinking it was going to be, but I think if we'd had damage turned on, it would have been much worse. Because, like, A, anthills are, like, always a pain because there are so many enemies attacking you. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, B, uh, there's, an envi- there's also an environmental factor on that one. 
because the sandbox is a desert environment. Uh, so there is an effect there called the sizzle, which is heat damage. So if you're there during the day, you take uh, continuous heat damage unless you um, unless you have gear that stops it. Okay. And as as with the pond, in order to get the gear that stops it, you have to kill certain creatures that are in the sandbox. That are in it. Yeah. So yeah, yeah of course. <laughs> Oh, you know, the, the koi armor actually doesn't require all that much stuff other than just the fish scales and the sunken bones. Everything yeah. else is just eel grass and wax, which is not yeah. hard to get. So, yeah, I mean, the, the koi scale and the sunken bone, you have to be able to get to the bottom of the pond yeah. to get that. So you can't really get it until you've got your good breathing gear. But, uh, yeah, after that, I, I ended up, I think, wearing... Um, I had ladybug armor for the longest time. That was like what I spent a lot of the game with. And then I briefly had, I want to say black ox beetle armor, um, which are one of the late game enemies. Uh, and then I fought one of the uh, the two like just optional prestige bosses. Uh, and I ended up getting a, a mask from one of them and a, a, a big scythe from the other. Neat. There's a, there's some optional prestige bosses that you can fight that have to be summoned. Um, so you like you get to their lair and you're like, this looks like a boss arena. And then there's like a little thing in the corner and it's like, you know, place the this item here to summon the boss. Uh, but the problem is that the recipe for those items is like very well hidden in both cases. So before you can fight the boss, you have to like do a lot of exploration and actually locate these really obscure recipes. Yeah, I actually, I did find the broodmother nest, and I also found found the recipe. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, I, we, had to, we had to look up that recipe. <laughs> I, yeah, well, I, I saw the, the frickin' thing, because it's in, like, a little hanging, like, lab pod, all the way at the edge of the head. Yep. I gotta, like, you have to be able to get up there. So mm -hmm. I just kind of stumbled around the edge until I made it, um... And was yep. disappointed that it was just the recipe. Like, oh, great! I'm not yeah. planning on doing this. So yeah. So it's uh, yeah. That's the brood mother, which is the giant spider that lives in the hedge. Um, you if you have brood mother parts, um, the the recipe for the second boss requires some of the drops from the first boss. Um, gotcha. So there's a specific order. Um, but once you get Broodmother Chunks um, and you find the recipe, you can summon the Orchid Mantis. Um, and the Orchid Mantis is, like, the, like, toughest uh, critter in the game. Um, I don't know if it's tougher than the actual secret story boss. I think it is. Um, but, uh, yeah. The Mantis also was uh, very bad for frame rate. <laughs> Like our our computers had a tough time performing during the Mantis fight. Yeah, I mean those those environments are pretty. They get a little intense. Yeah, they're 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 very detailed and they're like um <clears throat> they're sort of like detailed and convoluted enough that often um like they can hide some some like pretty significant stuff. There's there are pieces that you can just walk right by without noticing, like you know things in little brick alcoves and um you know parts that, that are hidden in the hedge and if you're not if you're not actually paying close attention um they're pretty easy to miss so yeah there's a lot of stuff just laying around yeah 
And... Yeah, and I think to to get all of the molar upgrades, that you need like sixty molars. So there have to be at least sixty molars hidden around the oh, map. Oh god, yeah, that's a lot. That's so many. Um, yeah, I ended up not actually doing very many. I I think I cracked open like a couple of the molars, but there were so many molars that I f but didn't have a good enough hammer at the time. Yeah, I the never went you, back. The problem is you need a level two hammer. <laughs> And, yeah. Uh, you find a lot of molars before you get your level two hammer. Yeah, it took me a long time to get the level two hammer. Yeah, no, it it takes a while because you need parts that you just like you can't get in the early game, and you can't get to the some of the the mid game areas until you have like really collected enough stuff and gotten the right equipment. So yeah, it's it's pretty strongly gated. That is one thing that it does. I feel like uh, much like less subtly. Than, um, than Subnautica did because Subnautica like the main the main thing stopping you from doing anything was depth, right? It's just crush depth, mm -hmm. and <clears throat> you can kind of take little forays slightly deeper, um, to you know to to sort of peek at what's coming next. But it's pretty clear, like okay. This is within a depth I can get to, so I should explore things that are within a depth I can get to. Um, they, you know, and that's that's convenient for them because that is a feature of being underwater. They don't really have something like that in this game, so they they have to just do it by putting in like enemies and environmental dangers in areas that are like really strong enough that you're not going to just like, you know dash past them and be fine mm -hmm. yeah um so it, they have to be pretty unsubtle about that kind of enemy placement <clears throat> and uh and those sorts of tools um which you know like it, it accomplishes the goal of like forcing you to explore in a kind of structured way um like you, you know, you can't go too far into late game areas before you've completed the mid game areas, kind of thing. Um, yeah. But it it can be annoying, especially like because it, like their main tool is just giving later enemies a lot of health. So it's like even if you have damage turned off, some of the enemies just take a while to kill, especially with lower level weapons. And it's like, come on, like let just let me go to the next thing. Yep. Um, but honestly, I, I highly recommend playing it with damage turned off. I had, a, we had a blast, like, getting through it without worrying. And it, it's still, like, a lot of the shit that, that is, you know, you wouldn't expect to work still works. Like, you still feel uncomfortable being in scary areas and you still, like, get startled by big monsters and like i was still terrified to go into the big spider's nest that we found that ended up being the boss arena like even though i know i can't be damaged like i don't want to go underwater there might be big <laughs> monsters down there i mean there is the big koi in the there koi is, pond there is a big koi it turns Which out um, i but she's I never old tried to and easy to it. she's old and easy to avoid and like, yeah, I never tried to attack it. I don't know if you can even. I don't think you can. I don't think you it doesn't, can. It... it doesn't come up if you try to like use peeper. your your peeper on it. Yeah, uh, peeping so. is a mechanic whereby you can like uh, scope out an enemy when, that you see, and it will give you stats on like their their 
strengths and weaknesses. Um, but yeah, the crow and the koi, which are the like two big non uh you know non bug animals that are around the yard uh they don't let you peep and so i think you probably just can't attack them um and they both give you uh they both give you a resource that you need the crow gives you crow feathers and the koi mm-hmm. gives you koi scales um and not not as in you have to attack them for it but as in they drop it over time um but the koi will kill you if you get too close it will try oh. to eat you okay <laughs> I guess I, uh, I, I it's kept pretty, away from it. Yeah, it's pretty easy to avoid. It's very slow and it's very large, so it's easy to see it. Um, mm-hmm. So it's it's fairly easy to not get in the koi's way, but the koi will swallow you if you get in front of it. Um, the uh, We did discover that there are a couple ways that you can die um, even if you have damage uh, turned off. Um, th- there are a few insta-kills in the game, and insta-kill is not turned off. Uh, only damage is turned off. Um, I don't know if the koi is one. I don't think we ever got fully eaten by the koi. We just got, like, caught uh, briefly in its little, like, I'm sucking in water to eat you kind of attack. Um, but uh, there is a, there is an area where there's, like, an open, like, electrical thing that's sparking, and if you touch it, you just instantly die. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, Which is fine. Sometimes it's good yeah. to get like, surprised don't, by a death. Don't, yeah, <laughs> don't touch that. Um, and, you know, it was it was kind of a stupid experimental thing. I think it was Huck. He was like, hey, this thing is sparking. I wonder if it will hurt me if I touch it. And he jumped on <laughs> it and died. So the answer is yes. Yes, it will. Yes, there you it go. will. Um... But I actually ended up really liking the pond environment because there's a surprising number of, like, neutral to friendly critters in there. There's, like, tadpoles, uh, and there's water boatmen, and, uh, like... There's and the, water and there's, fleas, too. Yeah, there's water fleas, which will attack you, but, like, they're they're pretty small. Uh, there are water spiders, which is unfortunate. <laughs> there's diving, yeah. diving bell spiders, but... They're, they're, they're pretty sparse. It's not they're, like the. I feel pretty, like there's. They're pretty like sparse a, and they're not as healthy as, uh, the land spiders. Although yeah. they are harder to hit because it's it's hard to attack things underwater. Yeah, but I feel like I never encountered diving bell spiders in the same sheer volume as you frequently see. Or- yeah, yeah. There's usually only. I mean, <clears throat> there was one time when I I ended up being chased by like four diving bell spiders, but it was just because I was like trying to avoid them instead of fighting them and I'd been like swimming for around for quite a while and they were just all chasing me um yeah but usually you only run into one or two so and they're like I said they're small they're not as as tough as the the full-sized orb weavers so Mm -hmm. they're tougher I think than the like orb juniors but not by much (sighs) and there's there's also like even even with damage off, there's like a few areas where there's like dark flooded pipes that you can swim into, and if you don't have a light, it's it, that's still nightmarish. <laughs> like, or if you're as or if as ours did, your light goes out like on the way back, oh, so no. you're like somewhere deep underground, and you like oh. have to feel your way back through the dark. Yeah, that's nightmarish. Yeah. Um, 
there is a give up option where you can insta kill yourself to to like teleport back to base. Um, so we did end up using that sometimes towards the end game just just to circumvent travel. Yeah. Um, but uh, but for the most part, we didn't end up using that. So. Ah, uh, but I I thought about turning off the spider mode. And I don't oh. even have a bad problem with spiders. They really like emphasize the scariness of the spiders. Like this, they there's a special like super unpleasant, creepy music that plays when a spider is chasing you too. Like, yeah, they want you to be scared of the spiders. Although yeah. if you if you turn off bug hostility, it is really really funny. Um, like if you go underneath the oak during the day, there's all those wolf spiders in there, but they're just asleep. They're just yep. sleeping. Yep. Which is so cute. Yeah, um, they sleep there during the day. Uh, I think that's that's the best reason to turn off bug hostility, is so that you can just see all these bugs asleep. Yeah, and see like, their sneak little up routines. It's really cute, yeah. I yeah. will say that much. I wonder if, so there's a type of bug in the late game that runs away from you instantly that is very difficult to uh you like you need uh its materials and it's very difficult to kill and i wonder if it still runs away from you if you have bug hostility turned off um that would be That's interesting question. it I've... might make it much easier to harvest if you turn that off it might i still feel like um like aphids would run away if they saw me with bug hostility off but Maybe I'm just imagining that. I don't know. Yeah, for no, sure. I mean maybe maybe that's true and maybe this thing would still run away from you. Yeah, it's um, difficult to say. But Yeah. I guess there there are no snakes. Yeah, we were constantly wondering if we were going to run into something else that was like a vertebrate of some kind that was going to be big and hostile like a big toad or uh you know, big snake or something like that. But no, it's it's almost exclusively invertebrates the only things you the only things i think that aren't invertebrates are the the crow and the the koi that we mentioned and then the tadpoles in the lake so there is one part uh speaking of invertebrate or vertebrates rather um if in the haze area there's like a little oh. grave for a pet that's spider net but that was really yeah, if, funny, you, I guess. If, you go, if you go all the way into the grave area, you can find the skeleton of the hamster. Uh, yeah. And it has a big wad of gum in where its stomach would be. Yep. So that tells you probably how the hamster died. Uh, spoilers, there is another such hamster skeleton in the upper yard that is uh, less, like, less an obvious grave and more just like, a, you know, it was buried and then it kind of like wore, wore away the dirt. And I think it also has gum in it. Don't let your hamsters eat gum. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, and it's, I think it says on the gravestone that it's like the third hamster or something like that that they had. Um, yeah. Because the premise is that the, the, the yard belongs to like the le this mad scientist and his family um, and his, his wife and two children. And the two children are, like, leaving a bunch of shit out in the yard and all their toys and stuff. So a lot of the things you encounter are uh, from the children, so. Yeah, you gotta have that Honey, I Shrunk the Kid moment of the big Yeah, big cookies, big hot dogs. 
Um, Lots of gum wads, soda yeah. cans, juice boxes. Yep. I mean, they're not trying to be sneaky that it's Tanya trying to kids. <laughs> yeah. Oh, absolutely not. Yeah. Yeah, and it's... I, I was wondering, I had a feeling that the ants, the, when they're non-hostile, make the exact same noise that they made in the movie, but I could not remember the movie well enough to confirm this. You know, I watched that movie... It's been within the last, like, three to five years, but I that's that's not recent enough for me to remember. But I did watch that movie again. Um, holds up. No, so, there's that. Not. Rick Moranis is pretty much evergreen, and Matt Frewer is also in it. He's the guy at, in Max Headroom. So, there's that. Which I, I have not seen, so. That's fine. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> I think I'm the only person who cares that much about Max Headroom, but... What are you going to do? Yeah. Well. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, like, being tiny and seeing the world from a small scale is, like, a cool a cool concept. And it's there's a reason that they picked that as, like, the point of this game. And uh, and it's, you know, it's cool. It's fun to, to wander around and be like, oh, look at these ants and look at these tiny aphids. And, like, this juice box is so huge. I'm going to drink, like, two drops from it and be full. And yeah, I loved yeah. that there were so many juice boxes all around. Like, Truly oh a God, godsend. This, this garden gnome, it's so big. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's you know, it's just nice. It's it's fun to see things from a different perspective, and this game takes full advantage of that as part of its conceit, and I appreciate it. Um, I really do want to try this as a as a four player experience. Uh, and see how long we can, like, leave on all of the default settings. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I was I was thinking about it, and we, we have come a very long way from uh, A Bug's Life on PS1 and N64. <laughs> so I, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that the technology has increased. Yeah. Yeah, as long as the ants are kept from being <laughs> too industrious. Yes. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, and it's, you know, like, I don't know that the the music or graphics or anything are, like, anything to write home about. They're they're fine. They're functional. There's a there's an arachnophobia mode where you can turn down the spiderness of the spiders. So they're less scary. I didn't experiment with that, but I've heard it's pretty good. I, um, I looked at, like, what that looks like, because it lets you preview it with sliders, and it looks very goofy. Yeah. Because they do just become little spheres. Yep. Yeah, it looks odd. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I wonder if it might not be, like, jarring and scary in its own way to just have something that feels so, like, incongruous and surreal in the landscape, but... I mean, they still look creepy. Yeah. yeah. It's just weird. Um, spider slider grounded. Does it, uh... Oh, no, not the, not the meal. Uh, <laughs> the Iraq... <laughs> yeah, you can make... There's a hunger and thirst system, and one of the foods you can make is called the spider slider. Uh, let's go arachnophobia slider. <laughs> um, yeah, that's right. It is just, like, a little, a little ball with a, a little ball on front that has two red eyes. Um, that's kind of weird, but 
Sure. I mean, you know, I have a friend who does have like pretty strong arachnophobia and uh it's it's cool that like she could conceivably play with us uh, if you wanted to. Yeah. There are definitely some uh critters in the yard that I like felt bad about fighting. Um like especially the ones that are like neutral non-hostile and like won't won't attack you until you attack them first. Like I don't want to kill a ladybug. It's just it's just yeah. bumbling along, enjoying itself, and I, you know. I only killed ladybugs if I like needed, needed something that they dropped. Yeah. Um, otherwise, yeah. And you can, you can. There are ladybugs that will attack you by default in the in the infection. So I felt less bad about killing those. But That's then, true. Uh, yeah, the the tadpoles as well are just kind of tadpoling around, as are the water bowmen. And then when you get into the upper yard, there's roly polies. I'm like. Uh... I'm not gonna kill a roly poly. It's my little isopods. I'm gonna kill a. I'm not gonna kill a roly poly until I need to. I'm yeah, gonna I, kill yeah. all of them. And actually, we didn't, um, because as it turns out, uh, some of the more advanced spider nests have little like, um, like egg sac things. And if you destroy the egg sacs, in addition to releasing a few tiny spiderlings, which you have to fight. They also have, um, like, insect parts in them. Parts, yeah. Um, and so we were actually able to harvest enough roly-poly parts just by uh, harvesting egg sacs that we were we were okay. Oh, that's good. Granted, I we didn't end up with, like, full roly-poly armor, which I think is the thing. Um, but, you know, we we got the, one, the parts that we strictly needed, so. And the black ox beetles are much, much... Uh, easier, not easier to fight, but morally, emotionally easier to fight. Um, and they, they give you good armor, too, so. Yeah. I, yeah do I, like, I do like how, like, how every armor set just kind of has its own little, like, visual. Yeah. Um, the Like, the red ant is, like, samurai armor, and... The Black Ox Beetle is, like, barbarian armor. Is that right? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Um, yeah, they they do they did a good job with, like... Um, and one thing that I, I... Is kind of a subtle thing, but I really appreciate, is when you're required for building something to have, like, you know, four sprigs and one cro clover leaf and, like, you know, two crude rope or whatever... You can see where each of those pieces is used in the visual design of that thing once it's built. Yes. Once it's built. And that's kind of nice. Like, that's not necessary, but it feels good. Yeah, I, I like that as well. I thought that was a, a good touch because, I don't know, so often it's just like the thing doesn't even begin to materialize until you slot all the pieces in. But, um, yeah. yeah. And I, I wonder if, like, that's... That represents a severe risk in your development pipeline because it, it means that once you have the art assets, it's much more difficult to rebalance your crafting needs, right? Mm -hmm. Because if you're like, oh, actually, you know, this would be slightly, you know, better and easier for people to build if it only took three grass per wall instead of four your thing is drawn to use four grass planks. So like you either have to accept the mismatch or you have to go back and get a new art asset for it if you want to change it. Yeah. Um, so, which is, you know, expensive. 
um, because art time is one of the more expensive parts of the game dev, dev process. Um, it's it's easy for a dev to just change a number in the like number of th things it takes to craft. It's much harder to get a visual matching thing going on. So it's that's why most games that have stuff like that just don't do it that way. Um, but it's you know it was a cool thing to see. It was like an interesting polish element that they decided to do it that way. Yeah. Um, so I wonder if they, you know, tried to do a lot of their balancing first before they approached the art team about stuff, or if they just, you know, <laughs> tried to balance other things around the uh, the way the crafting system worked, or just had a lot of rework <laughs> for their art team. If I yeah, had to guess, knows? they probably ran with some temporary assets until like the very end. Yeah, that would be the that would be the most economical way to do it for sure. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, but you're still screwed if you want to like patch it. Yeah, exactly. Um, and you know they have done balance patches as part of the the patches since they released. So, you know, it's not like they got the balance perfect first try. Curious to see if. Uh they update the assets, or if they just deal with the mismatch then? Yeah, they, well, they haven't, as far as I know, they haven't done redone the balance of anything that has a visual asset. They've only rebalanced in the sense of, like, the amount of damage things do and the amount of health stuff has. So, like, only only assets that are, are or only stats that are not, like, specifically tied to visual assets. So, yeah, I'll be curious to see if they do end up balancing any any stuff that requires new assets, and if so, if they get themselves some new assets. But, but that said, it all feels pretty. Nothing feels out of the... or, like, worth changing. Yeah, no, nothing in the crafting system is, like, wildly uh, off the mark. It would probably just be small tweaks. Um, I mean, you know, some of the the like harder advanced equipment is is a little tough to get um but you don't you know you don't get it till the end and it's not um it's not that that crazy uh specifically there's a there's a place where there's like a charcoal grill that's been turned over or like knocked over and there's like some hot coals that you can harvest and they're like only in that one spot. Um, and they're you can only harvest a few at a time before you have to go away and wait for them to respawn. So like anything in the tech tree that involves uh hot coals is rough. <laughs> That's fair, yeah. Yeah. Oh, another thing we turned off uh <laughs> that made our lives easier was food spoiling. Um, because food spoils if you don't eat it right away. Um, so we were able to do a lot more of, like, stockpiling food. Yeah, I guess I did turn that one off pretty quick before I even had anything spoiled, because I was like, this is going to make my life easier. Um, but then I did turn it back on again later when I needed meat, so. Yeah, there are a lot of systems like that that just kind of feel a little bit like busy work, right? Mm -hmm. Like, Like, they do add more complexity to the game, but not in a way that feels, like, really necessary or core to the experience. It just feels like it kind of slows you down a little bit. Yeah. Um, I think the building, like, um, 
like the support system in the building thing is a little bit like that too. Because um, you already have, if you're trying to build like way up high, you already have the difficulty of like carrying your materials up that high and trying to get an angle on the spot that you're going to build and like not being able to build on certain surfaces. So like the, you know, oh, structures take damage if they're not supported correctly. Like that feels like a an extra layer that kind of didn't need to be there. Yeah. But you can turn all these layers off in the options and have a better experience. So, you know, <laughs> there's that at least. Means you yeah. can't get a lot of the achievements because they turn off the achievements when you turn off those things. But that's fine. Like, I don't need all the achievements. Yeah, I don't really care about achievements most of the time. I did get the achievement for sitting in a chair. If you build a ah. chair and then rest in it, there's an achievement for that. Nice. I never did build a chair. I built a bed as soon as I got yeah. um, bird feathers. But I did yeah. never, even I never though, ever had a building though, a chair. Like, you don't actually need a bed because it does the same thing as the like little lean-to. Uh, but it feels nice to have one in the base. So yeah. I made I made like a little like half walled off section that uh, that had like a bedroom in it, which had like two beds and a ch like two chairs and a table. Oh, that's and nice. I'm like, I, like I just yeah, like I, having this in the corner of my base. It's nice, yeah. I think the bed does give you an extra buff that you don't get from the lean to, but it doesn't matter that much. Yeah, and you certainly don't need two of them because everybody can sleep using the same sleep item. Yeah, um, it's fine. It's, it's, it's good to have. It's cute to have. There were yeah. two of us. It was nice to have two beds. And past a certain point, like the you know we didn't we weren't really hurting for those particular uh like I resources, so it was fine. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, you get into the infected area, and there's just bird feathers everywhere. So. Yeah. Um. You know you can uh turn off the infection. The haze. Oh, can you? Yeah, the uh, if you get to a high enough ground to look around, you can see that the haze is caused by um, like a can of weed killer that has a dent in the top. Um, <clears throat> so it's just like spilling all the gas out. Um, and that's what's making the haze. Um, so it once you you have to get, I think it's like a level level two or level three shovel so that you can break gum blocks. So you have to be able to break chewing gum. Um, but what you do is you get some chewing gum chunks and you go up, you climb up to the top of the the poison spewer and you can plug the hole up. Um, well, that makes sense. But be careful, because if you do that, then um, the creatures that have the infection are no longer confined to the haze area and they will spread throughout the yard. So you'll oh. have to deal with more infected insects elsewhere in the yard. That's a real, that's a real double-edged sword. Damn. Yeah. So it's a trade-off. Uh, we found the environmental hazard of the haze to be more annoying than the infected stuff, mostly because we had damage turned off. Yeah. Um, and the haze is also like hard to see in, and it's got that big canyon that's easy to fall into. And um, so we we chose to do that. But um, yeah, so just be aware that's a thing you can do, but it is a trade-off. Yeah, I did. I did see the canister, but I didn't get close enough to um to note that you could plug it up. Honestly, I might do that just because. Yeah, navigating through there is uh, it sucks. Kind of a pain. It's yeah, it's, it's a little bit tough to get up onto it. Um, because you have to like get up onto the porch step in order to 
get to the thing. But like, I I don't think we we considered building up to it. But there's actually like there's a place you can just climb without having to do that. So there were a few places where there was like raw signs and stuff where we're like. Is there supposed to be a way that you can get up to this without building? Because it really seems like there's no way you could possibly get up to this without building. Yeah. Um, and maybe there, maybe there's some platforming that you can do that we didn't realize. Uh, but or maybe they just want you to build for certain things. Um, they certainly want you to build for some of the defenses. Like there's a lot of the defenses that you would not be able to complete without doing some building. Um, oh, sorry. I'm just looking at the wiki, and I I noted you can find toenails and craft a sword out of. <laughs> yeah, we uh we actually kind of forestalled the end of our game a little bit in order for there to regen enough toenails for Huck to get the toenail sword. Uh, I hate it. I hate it so much. <laughs> yeah. Ten no, toenails. Uh... Jesus. Yeah. That's a lot of those. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I do need yeah. so many. I mean, they're only, like, little little toenail shavings that you find, so. Um, yeah, so he had a toenail sword. I had a rusty spear and a mantis scythe. Um, and he also had a, one of the more advanced crossbows. I forget which one. Um, and that's what we, we took on the end game with. And uh, we, were, we were super decked out. Oh, we didn't even talk at all about the um, the jeans mechanic. Oh yeah, I uh, I forgot about that. It took me a while to even notice that that was. A yeah, they don't um, do a great job of uh, explaining certain like <laughs> mechanics and or parts of the menu, uh, you know, like blocking. Um, but yeah, there's a there's a section of the menu that's um, that is like jeans, which are sort of like little in-game achievements that you earn as you do certain tasks but you can equip them to get um, bonuses. So it's like if you've cut down a bunch of grass, you get an achievement that makes your grass cutting faster. Um, and you can, I think you can equip like one of them to start with, and then you can upgrade to, or sorry, you can equip uh, two to start with, and then you can upgrade to three, four, and five using uh, milk molars. Mm -hmm. um, and some of them are really good. So I had like one that... Uh, makes it so that as I continue to use my spear, uh, enemies lose defense power the more they get hit with the spear. Um, that's so nice. That, that helped a lot with some of the more um, more advanced enemies. Um, throwing the spear is also very good, but by the end I had like a really upgraded spear that I didn't want to lose, so I didn't throw it. Um, and yeah, so you, you can... Uh, a lot of them you get... Um, like higher levels, like you can get like levels one to three in that particular gene and uh, and level it up. And then there's some like special ones that happen for certain. <laughs> we got a gene. So there's a there's a little spot you can find um, where one of the kids left his like basically like little D and D set out. Uh, and there's a D twenty on the table. And if you hit it with a heavy enough weapon, you can get it to roll a little bit, and there is a gene you can get for rolling a 20 on the 20-sided die. Oh, nice. Um, that, uh, I think it, like, gives you extra luck or something like that. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, I really need to get into the upper upper yard so that I can see all that stuff, because I 
I never got around to going up there. Yeah, there's some fun stuff in the upper yard, but there's some there's some cool stuff in the pond too, so Yeah. Um there's I was impressed at how much the environments like continually like were exciting to to explore and find. That to me this is like the what makes a big distinction between crafting games that are designed and crafting games that are procedural. Like there's there are joys in this game that I would never get in a game like Valheim. Right? Yeah. Even though Valheim is also like a 3D game with, you know, monsters and different biomes and stuff like that, like just entering a crafted space feels different. It just yes. does. Um and and I really liked how many different feeling areas they managed to fit into a, an honestly fairly small yard all things considered. Yeah, yeah. It's it's really impressive. Um Again, like I said earlier, we've we've come a long way from uh, a bug's life exact kind of thing that I think I would have wanted from this concept. Um Maybe without all of the things trying to kill you constantly, but it's easy enough to turn that off and just kind of have a have a nice exploration time. Yeah, for sure. Which is which is why I I think I gravitated towards turning off, and just making it more of an exploring, um, yeah, exploration focused sort of experience when I as I've been playing it. Um, yeah. But that also helps, you know, if you're playing it by yourself. Yeah, that's totally valid. This is a totally valid thing to do. Yeah. Um, and like I said, you know, we we turned we we started cheating pretty early, and we still got like sixty hours of good entertainment out of this game. Yeah. Uh, and that's not including potentially going back and playing it with you know more friends later. So. Mm -hmm. Um. So I think it's, you know, I think it's worth it even even if you end up like fiddling with the the stats. Uh, uh, one question. I wonder where those tiny takeout containers came from that you get oh. when you craft food. <laughs> yeah. When you make a meal and puts in a little tiny box. Yeah. Um I try not yeah. to think too hard about it, but you yep. know. <laughs> they're uh they're organic in some way for sure yeah biodegradable it's it's fine um i'm done for it yeah or maybe it's maybe it's not actually in that it's just that they choose to use that as the icon so you don't have to look at the hideous thing you've created out of spider bits and uh, like mold yeah i guess they do that for um like insect chunks when you drop them when anytime you have to view them in 3d space you drop them, um they they're just like in a little burlap sack which is yeah i appreciate i appreciate that yeah it's it's just because you know i'm sure they didn't have enough time to make the assets for oh yeah like every possible thing you could drop on the ground yeah definitely but at the same time uh, i'm i'm okay with not having to look at like a twitching dismembered ant leg yeah, but just kind of hanging out. So you know, it's already gross. It's already gross enough when you drop a spider chunk and it's like just the abdomen of an orb weaver, and it's like, Ugh. yeah. Or when you when you destroy a bug and it like 
explodes into yeah. but like the animation is just it, like pops the apart bug explodes yeah, yeah green goo and like bits <clears throat> yeah yeah not great uh no no blood but that doesn't stop it from being real gross um uh apropos of nothing uh also shout out to uh kelsey beecham who I learned while reading the credits was a writer on this game. Uh, she's uh, the sister of Alex Beecham, who is the one of the Outer Wilds designers, and she also oh. wrote for Outer Wilds a bit. So nice, yeah. Shout out. Um, I did not realize she was one of the writers until afterwards when we were done, and I was walking, walking through the credits. I'm like, wait, Kelsey worked on this? That's cool. <laughs> yeah, de facto so. friend of the pod. Yep. So that's cool. And I liked the story. So, you know, good mm -hmm. on good on her and the other writers for, for making something like I said that, you know, it's not it's not earth shattering. It's not like amazing, but it's it's a good fun mad science romp. And it's it's good as as silly as it needs to be and as earnest as it needs to be. And it's it's I enjoyed it and I enjoyed uh sort of getting to the end and seeing how it all played out. So Yeah. Yeah. Uh yeah, that might be it. Do we have any uh any other thoughts, complaints, praises? Yeah, I was just trying to come up questions. with any and I don't know that I necessarily do. It's a fun game. Uh completely destroy the difficulty and play it and you'll have a good time. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> do not be afraid to mess with the accessibility settings. They're they're offered to you, so you might as well take advantage of them. And, you know, it it can be a really like enjoyable experience if if you're feeling frustrated and you feel like oh i'm just gonna stop because this is like too hard and too frustrating like it is still an enjoyable and exciting experience if you turn off some of that frustration and you will be better for it so yeah. you know what my biggest frustration was what's that there was no like either a minimap or a way to show your rotation in the world Mm, yeah, D cardinal directions like a little compass would have been a, a great addition. Yeah, me, with, me with no sense of direction, every time I like turn 90 degrees, pick the map, and I've turned 180. Yeah, yeah. that that is a good point. I I will. Yeah, they do I will say least... that I had some difficulty with the map. <laughs> yeah, they do at least have a very good marker system, um, where when you when you build a trail marker. Um, you have like 20 icons to choose from in a variety of colors. So it's really easy to put beacons on your map such that you can like, okay, I know it's in that direction and this far away, so I'm just going to go that way. Um, so at each of our bases, we put a little sign with a like a house and a different color. So we're like, all right, like, you know, blue base is the one by the like marsh by the hedge. And, you know, orange base is the one by the sand, and white base is the original home, and and that made it much easier uh, to navigate, for sure. Yeah, that sounds like something I wish I would have known to do. Um, I didn't realize that trail markers did all of that. Yeah, you have to activate them. So once you've built one, um, there's like a button where you hit activate and uh, and you can do it. You can also do that on your like little chests and storage things. And you can set icons for like what you've put in them to help keep yourself organized. 
Um, you can also name your chests, which I, we did end up doing, but I felt like the icons were actually much more useful than being able to name it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I highly recommend making full use of uh, trail markers. They're just like a sprig, a clover leaf, and two plant fiber or something like that. So they're like fairly easy to make in most places on the map. Um, the hardest thing to find is make sure you have a clover leaf with you. Um, yeah. And then you can you can set them up anywhere. I don't think they have the thing that they have in Subnautica where you can turn off which icons are showing from your main menu, unfortunately. Um, which oh. was a really nice Subnautica feature where it was like, okay, I only want like three, these three icons on the map right now. Um, I think if you want to turn it off, you actually have to like go to it to turn it off. Um, but I'm not 100% sure of that, but I think that's how it works. But, you know, you know, we ended up with, um, let's see, white base, purple base, blue base, orange base, um, and then blue stairs, purple stairs. So six, oh, oh and one of the, our starting lab also had a marker. So seven, seven markers on the map uh, simultaneously. And it didn't feel like it was, like, crowded with icons and hard to see or anything like that. In fact, sometimes I would have to, like, get up to the top and be like, wait, where is the thing? And, like, turn in a 360-degree circle to try and find my marker. And I'm like, oh, there it is. It's that way. Yeah. Um, yeah. And they do, there is a map that you can look at, at least. Like, you can go into the menu and, like, look at a map. It's not the most detailed map. It's very bare bones. Um, but they do at least mark, like, significant landmarks that you found on it so that you can find them again, which is nice. And you can um, you can use the map to set like a movable waypoint. Yeah. Which is helpful. I use that all the time. Yeah, that, that but a mini cool. map a mini map or yeah, cardinal directions would have been good. Yep. Yeah, like let just let us craft a compass. Let us find like a little, you know, um bit of rust and uh I don't know, a, a thistle needle or something and and make a make a little compass and we would use it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think I don't know that I have a whole lot else to say about this one. How about y'all? Yeah, I think it was oh. it was good. I recommend it. Yeah, I'm gonna probably go back and play more this evening now that I've gotten to the pond lab. <laughs> yeah, you gotta. Well, you gotta get to the. You gotta at least open the shortcut so you can get down yeah. to the pond lab more easily. Exactly. Like right now, I'm trapped in the pond lab. So. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm gonna. Keep playing it. Like, maybe slowly over a long period of time. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it is definitely something that, like, you have to pace yourself on because uh, it turns out too long for the podcast. But yeah. that's fine. <laughs> yeah. What are you going to do? We did our best. Uh, we did. As we will for, which is why we're, we're picking a shorter one for the next game. Yeah, um, so for our next game, we are going to be playing Norco, um, which is a point-and-click, a gorgeous, beautiful point-and-click game um, developed by Geography of Robots that's set in, like, an alternate kind of Louisiana. Um, so very... I don't know, I played a bit of it. I played, like, maybe the first hour, and it's it's, like hauntingly beautiful is is the phrase that i will use for it okay. so i'm looking looking forward to 
um, and playing more of that. But yeah, um, point and click adventure, which I feel like we done one of those in a while. Yeah, in and quite they some time. they played it on mostly walking, and I specifically mm-hmm. avoided watching them play it because I uh, I had the you know we were we were considering playing it for this, so I wanted to not spoil myself. Yeah. So that is what's next. Uh, internet says five to seven hours, so that should be doable in the yeah, next we'll couple see. weeks. We'll see. Yeah. Um, and it's uh, the published by Raw Fury, which also published Sable, which is mm-hmm. a game we played for this podcast. So, you know, we'll see how how we feel their their taste is as a publisher. I mean, spoiler: we were already looking at. Uh, the list of games they'd published and been like, oh, a lot of these games look really good. So. Yeah, like there's stuff that, uh, you know, they did Call of the Sea, which was a mostly walking game, which seemed pretty cool. And so, you know, I don't know. I'm uh, I'm intrigued by the idea of having another like Annapurna style publisher where I can just be like, I trust this publisher to like pick good games and to have curated like some interesting things for me and yeah. just be able to to take it at face value. Yeah, I agree. Um, so that's next. Hopefully that'll be in two weeks from now. Two weeks from now is also like the weekend after Thanksgiving. Um, which, so we'll see how we all feel. Yeah, exactly. Maybe we'll be in food comas. Uh, who knows? But yeah, that's where we're at. Um, so I guess we should do plugs now, right? Is that what it's yep. been so long? It's been like a month since we're <laughs> forgetting what the- Hello. You can find me on Twitter at Kelso Time Bomb. You can follow the podcast Twitter at Feedback Force. Um, we'll see how long Twitter still exists. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, good luck. Um, we have a Discord. If uh, We have a Discord, yeah. So if uh, maybe maybe out. jump ship to the Discord if you're interested. Um, that, that'll be there yep. for, for a while. Yeah, we might need to like make a Tumblr or something where we can post about releases. Um, yeah, uh, I'm... Kyla, I'm at Kyla underscore go on Twitter. I'm also newly uh, Cage Tiger with a K on Tumblr, which, like, my my usual username was taken for so long on Tumblr, and I just checked for it again recently, and it was available. Yeah. Uh, so, which, which is a, a freaking sign, right? Like, Twitter is dying, but Tumblr is, is giving me back my correct username. Um, so I am now... Once again, Cage Tiger on uh, on Tumblr. Um, you can also uh, find the game that I made, Wintermore Tactics Club, uh, on you know whatever platform you want. Pretty much, it's on all the consoles and PC, uh, and it is at Wintermore TC on Twitter, um, and I think WintermoreTC.com as well. Nice. Yeah. And I'm Skug3 on Twitter. Not yet verified, but <laughs> still there. Yeah. And uh, I got stuff on Switch. Yeah. I forgot to say. Tell us about your stuff on Switch. Um, we ported, uh, we did some like campaign changes for the Switch port of Totally Accurate Battle Simulator for Switch. Nice. So check so that I'm out. now a real developer. <laughs> yeah! Check that out if you want to see some stuff that Carl worked on. You're in the club. I, I checked, like, comments about it. Yeah. Like, searching the web. I could not find a single one. No one gives a shit. <laughs> so, you know, 
try it out and then like send send a nice message to Carl. No. Uh, if you want to get it, get it on PC instead. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. oh. oh, the glamorous life of game dev. Anyway. Uh, so yeah. do all those things. Uh, come join us on Discord if you want to talk about Norco. We love having guests on the show. Um, and we would happily have uh, have you come and chat with us about Norco. Yeah, 100%. Um, which that'll probably be in two weeks, maybe. Hopefully, we'll see. We'll see. Um, yeah, but until next time, thank you for listening, and we will see y'all later. Bye. Bye. Bye-bye.